0: The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening, we are streaming live on wvfs.fsu.edu and are also live on air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you would like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850 six four four three eight seven one and as always if you miss this show or any other future show you can always go back and listen to us on the tomahawk talk podcast available anywhere you get your podcast at be sure to like and subscribe to the entire v89 podcast network while you're at it we greatly appreciate it i'm your host luke hazen glad to join you on another monday here in tallacy and things this week as we lead up the halloween are getting pretty spooky around this fsu uh, football program As the Noles have now rattled off three straight wins, three straight wins for this FSU team uh, after dominating UMass this last weekend. And now they look ahead to a big game against an increasingly increasingly more vulnerable Clemson program on the horizon there. We're going to break down that game, the future game this upcoming weekend, and everything else from this weekend in sports. But first,
1: joining me as always, my good friend and co-host, Gabe. Gabe, how you doing, bud? Great to be with you, Luke. You know... I can get accustomed to this feeling of coming back on, on Mondays and getting to talk about four day victories, you know.
0: Yeah, well, I, I sent it out this morning for everyone at the station here. And I'm like, I mean, listen, I'm getting kind of, I'm, I'm getting kind of comfortable coming in here on a victory Monday, like we we had the last, uh, I guess, three weeks, uh, four if you count the bye week there. But um, you know, they say one one might be a fluke, two you're getting closer, three three is a legitimate streak. Three's a legitimate street game.
1: Eight and four is still on the table. On the table. That's what they say. But
0: not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, it was
1: it was a crazy weekend for me. I unfortunately got to witness both Barcelona and FSU Women's Soccer take an L on Sunday, which I, I gotta say I was expecting at least one of them to, to uh, release I, I, I was a
0: bit one you might have been able to expect the other <laughs> not as much. I, I know there was there was an F one race this last weekend too, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I didn't actually get to watch it, but but yeah, I mean Oh, Jack Jack's got something. Oh, Jack, Jack,
0: I was just about to say Jack Aliaro also joining us here on the pro, uh, on the show today. Jack, you
1: <laughs>
2: Doing good. Um was all over that race. So anything you need, I got that. Max was I was I was
0: just going to say I tuned in a little. I, well, first I saw I I saw a couple celebrities were at the, at the game or was, or not the game. The race uh, was it was it in Houston or were, it outside in, of Texas?
2: It was in Austin, Texas. There you go. Okay. And, and
0: who who ended up uh, placing where?
2: Uh, it was Max Verstappen of Red Bull, who was of the course. winner for, I believe, his second or third straight win. I don't remember off the top of my head. But he now leads the championship by 12 points over Lewis Hamilton, who's won the past four championships. And if Lewis gets this next championship, he will be the all-time leader in championships. Jeez. So and the Tom Brady of yeah. it all, really. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and Lewis is Mercedes? Is with Mercedes. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's with Mercedes.
2: Yes. There there it.
0: Go, <laughs> I knew I got it there. Uh, so, Jack, joining us at the panelists. I was also going to bring up, Jack, I know you... You covered the, the, this FSU women's soccer program extensively. Mm-hmm. Kind of an outlier weekend. It kind of a, a weird weekend, to say the least, for for the ladies, right?
2: Well, they didn't win for the first time all season. Yeah, they, so. <laughs> had a, they had a tight game with North Carolina where they drew away uh, two, two after two overtimes. And then they suffered their first loss of the season to number, I believe it was six Duke. Correct. In mm-hmm. a one-no loss. The first time they didn't score a goal in a, in a game, and the first time, well, that they've suffered a loss, so... Not too much to comment on that. They did what they could, and it was a. Uh, that's about as tough a weekend as you can get in the ACC.
1: Yeah, yeah and both both games on the road. So, uh, yeah. not, not to make any excuses, but also they missed out on two really important players with Gabby Carl, a standout defender, and then Maria Alagoa, who's been a really good sub for them in the midfield. So, I, I, I'm i a little disappointed because, you know, a tie and a loss against two really good opponents, their best tests of the season so far, you expect a little bit more out of the team, but uh, this is a team that's put a lot of miles on their under on their tires the last couple of years. So I, I'm not shaken up by it too much.
2: Yeah, I think it's a team that needs it too because they're going to the final stretch here at, with the ACC tournament beginning on Halloween. So I think it's probably, maybe in hindsight, we say it's a good thing that they suffered a loss and a defeat to... Maybe get that hunger back for wins, and,
0: and they're still slated to be the the number one seed going into yes. the ACC tournament. Of, of, of they Florida. get to
1: play Virginia at home on Thursday uh, Thursday night in Senior Night, mm-hmm. so that'll determine who who ends up being the number one seed.
0: There we go. Well, we'll have some always have something to look forward to with that program. One of the best Florida State has to offer. But also joining us is one of uh, the best that Florida State has to offer in, in and of himself. Uh, Max Escarpio joining us on the panel making his return. Max, how you doing, bud? Thanks for having me. How are you guys? <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I know you know we, we sent you to cover the game this last weekend. Uh, what can you tell us about the sights and sounds from, from homecoming weekend for uh, FSU?
3: Yeah, I mean, in the booth, everyone seemed pretty happy. We were riding a two-game win streak. started We started off very strong in that game. So everyone seemed really happy. Usually it's pretty quiet. But you heard everyone kind of (laughs) cheering and stuff like that. I know it's UMass, but it was great to see, and it was great to see what was supposed to happen happen. Mm -hmm. So I had a great time this weekend.
0: Yeah, slowly but surely the chatter among FSU media covering the game is starting to come back. For a while it was like everyone was afraid to talk because, because no one had anything to say about Florida State. But let's get right into it. Florida State this last weekend coming off of a bye week. That that many, I, I think, to start the year, a lot of people scrutinized the fact that Florida State did have a bye week leading up to the UMass game, but as you've seen the season play out and and Florida State kind of uh, you know progress along, it actually probably couldn't have come at a, a much better time for Florida State than when it did. You're able to take two wins into the bye week and then come right off of it and play. Probably, I think we can officially say after Florida State's performance against UMass, that is the worst team in FBS. Uh, in the FB. Despite yeah. their one win, I think it came against UConn, the other worst team in FBS football. Uh, UMass was the worst. Florida State gets business done 59-3 to in a game that really was never close despite UMass getting an opening drive field goal there. Um, and as fun as it was to talk about the Walt Bell revenge game aspect of this game, uh, this was never supposed to be close. Florida State handled business from the jump coming off of their bye week. Jordan Travis, another 200-yard performance uh, and, a, and a touchdown to boot with that. Uh, surprisingly, though, Gabe, Jordan Travis was only asked to throw the ball 10 times in limited time, of course, with, with Chubba Purdy eventually coming in the game. Uh, but what did you... I mean, there's only so much you can take out of this game, just like any other game Florida State's played this season. Uh, but what were your observations from the game this weekend against UMass?
1: Well, I think everyone was kind of panicking inside as much as we we want to look back on the, the 59-3 final score. When I think it was Travis Jay that fumbled in the kickoff return for the opening, yeah. Uh, yeah so that was that was a great way to start. But but no, the Knolls they bounced back, and I mean the only takeaway really is the fact that the Knolls blew them out, and that's not something we've seen them do in years. And yes, it was expected. Yes, they had a 35 point line, and uh, I mean what else what else is there to learn about this team from these little games? It's it's not much, and you know. It's great to see five rushing touchdowns coming from five different players. Right. And you get to see Chava Purdy come in there and, and get some reps and, and actually look kind of good, uh, albeit against a, a, an inferior team. But overall, it was just good to see the, the players get some more confidence coming out of the bye week and not letting this, this game uh, kind of get in, in, in between their mojo because they had been riding a two-game winning streak. So this could have been some sort of trap game because, you know, FSU is going to FSU. And <laughs> instead any mistakes that they seem to have during this game like uh I forgot his name but one of the cornerbacks he dropped the interception in the first yeah, quarter yeah he yeah brownie <laughs> and, and and then he actually picked it off when when he had the second chance so uh it's good for them to get the confidence make the mistakes this this week and actually uh get the confidence of, of knowing hey we're on a three-game winning streak clemson which we'll talk about is not doing too hot so who knows what will happen next week and as we you talk about Brownlee's uh, pick six there. We have Brett Rutherford joining us in the studio.
0: He's he's away from the from the mics and everything like that. But Brett, if I'm not mistaken, that Brownlee that Brownlee touchdown sealed the over. Am I correct? Or did yeah, wonders for um, it?
4: It did seal the over, um, and so some some of us were enjoying pizza this weekend, uh, but it was a good day, and, and Florida State covered the spread as well. There we go. As we
0: all predicted, except for one Jack Agliaro, I know you were kind of <laughs> skeptical about Florida State covering this weekend, but what did you see out of the nose that kind of surprised you in the way that they were able to, to pull away from UMass in this game?
2: Well, FSU is mostly played either up or down to their uh, level, yeah. so I was expecting a little bit out of this weekend, and my score prediction was 31-7, which just barely didn't cover the spread, but they blew my expectations, which is exactly what should have been, 59-3. Yep. They did what they should have done, but they did it at a level that they beat them on maybe a top 25 level. They didn't make it a contest, maybe in the first quarter it was 10-3, but... They ran it down their throats, and I don't know if anyone noticed, UMass switched their quarterback at one point, yeah. which that thought was uh, pretty funny, and it was more of a matter of, in the rushing uh, game, who didn't score a touchdown. Exactly. Uh, Jay Sean, uh, Tra- Travis scored, Toa Feely, Ward, DJ Williams. All these uh, players are putting up numbers, which is always good to see, and that was about as good as homecoming as you can get for this team.
0: Exactly, and, and you know, the thing that stands out to me, going back to the rushing, again, Jordan Travis only attempts 10 passes. Florida State absolutely knew what was going to work for them in this game. What has worked for the majority of this uh, this season, and I think that's really promising coming off of a bye week where, you know, maybe you had the chance to retool some stuff. Maybe you had the chance to kind of get in your own head, uh, scripting out games like this. But but Florida State pushed all that to the side. They they realized what their bread and butter has been during the course of this thirty game winning streak, and that is running the football. Like you said, Corbin. Toville Ward, the the triumvirate there go along with, uh, uh, DJ Williams. They all they all get in the end zone there. Defense forces three turnovers. Always a good sign, especially for a defense that's struggled at times to cause huge impact plays. They they basically gave UMass another one. Brownlee drops interception there, mm-hmm. but it was really really encouraging to see them you know stick to what they know best and that is running the football. Uh, Max to we'll get your opinion on on this and and what you saw out of Florida State from a field level perspective this this last uh, Saturday.
3: I mean, I think the great thing to see was that we stuck to one thing and we stuck to yeah. what probably is our biggest strength this season. I was talking the other day with with someone else and I said our D lineman group and our running back group, right. they're the ones that really need to show up and they're the ones that did show up this yeah. this Saturday or this yeah this game. So I mean, we stuck with the run and it worked and. Uh, I'd like to apologize, too. I, last time I came on, I said I didn't want to see Purdy, mm. and he went five for five, so I, I'd like he to t- apologize. He took
0: Max's slander to heart. But... <laughs>
3: I'm not gonna just take that and say he's he should come back or or something. Oh, like absolutely that. not,
0: absolutely <laughs> not. Trevor Purdy down the stretch of this season against Clemson, NC State, Boston College, Florida, you name it, uh, should not shoot the field. He, <laughs> he didn't, he didn't <laughs> get, get a, a rush.
2: He didn't get a rush touchdown, so that's a no for me. That's one, that's mm-hmm. a, that's
0: a that's a negative all in and of itself. The fact that Florida State's quarterback weren't scoring rushing touchdowns there. Uh, Gabe, I'll go back to you though because. Now now that they've gotten UMass out of the way. They can put that all behind them. It's a win that counts towards what Florida State is trying to accomplish to, to gather some sort of momentum going into next year. Uh, now they get a, a much bigger test than, than UMass off of a bye weekend. That is uh, the Clemson Tigers, who, like ships passing in the night, this feels like probably the best time Florida State will get this Clemson program uh, and, and a chance to beat them. Clemson, of course goes on the road to Pitt, and kind of gets, not dominated, but that game wasn't close. Clemson really, for the majority of that game, did not have a shot of winning against a very, very uh, formidable Pitt team. And that's crazy that I'm saying a formidable Pitt team, but that's what Clemson makes them look like. Kenny Pickett is a solid quarterback, experienced, and he took it to Clemson. DJ (laughs) Uangale ends up getting (laughs) getting benched during the game, and and who knows what we're going to see, I think, all signs point to DJ taking over that starting spot this last uh, this coming weekend against Florida State but in your eyes could you have imagined a better time for Florida State to perhaps gang up on Clemson than this coming weekend
1: definitely not even though when we were here week 1 and we saw Clemson against Georgia I was like hey i mean Clemson's not looking too good and obviously it was against Georgia but if they don't take care of business then the ACC is up for grabs and that's what it's been uh, ever since and I'm just wondering what Dabo is thinking. Dabo? Dabo, I can't talk. (laughs) But what's he he thinking over there in Death Valley? Because we all remember what happened last year with the whole COVID debacle and how he completely, like, unprofessionally – Oh, he embarrassed himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean – He embarrassed himself in that program last year. Yeah, he did not look (laughs) 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 – There's not not many uh, happy feelings between the two programs – uh, before and definitely not after that so coming into this game there's even a little bit more motivation I think I mean Norvell will definitely not admit it but I, I think he, he wants it even more and he's going to use that as motivation coming into this game and for Florida State to get a victory against Clemson albeit against a four and three Clemson I think that would do a lot for this program uh, it would just simply really for, for for the fans more than anything I think they they would they would really be happy with that right Brett jumping on right here
4: Yeah, like this. This is a coaching rivalry, and these two head coaches have never faced off, as far as I know. Like Mike Norvell, you know, at his previous stops, like these two coaches have never gone against each other. But it's like I'm interested to see what the meeting in midfield is going to be like after the game. What is there going to be a handshake? What's the deal going to be with these two coaches? Because, yeah, there's a lot of drama from last season, and and honestly, this is the last thing I'll say before I'll hop off. Like, I know in Tallahassee, and I know with Florida State fans, there's nothing more important every season than beating Miami and beating Florida. But I would, right now, lock in losses against both Miami and both Florida right now mm-hmm. if the Knowles can beat Clemson on the road. I think this year, this game... Maybe it's just me personally, but means more to me as a Florida State fan beating Clemson after everything that happened last year. Uh, literally, they tried to commit biological, like a biological war crime against this Florida State football program. We're
0: talking ch- against children, 18-year-olds. Yeah, ch- yeah, exactly, children. amateur
4: athletes <laughs> that are now being paid, so Dabo shouldn't be coaching anymore. But I, I will say, like, this <laughs> this game, I, I'm very sure, sh- I, I, and I'll be completely honest, I don't expect to win. I know Clemson's struggling, but that is still a top – five defense in the country maybe yeah i'll say it uh and this offense is going to have to be very tricky they're gonna have to pull out some go deep into the bag jordan travis is gonna need to have a big game if if they if florida state wins it's gonna be real low score i'm thinking like 27 20 i don't know though it's gonna be a knife fight i am like more nervous for this game than like the notre dame game than i will be for the florida game like this is my Super Bowl this Saturday.
0: So, 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 big back off of what Brett said there. I'm going to ask Jack about this. Why do you think that is that that some Florida State fans would be more nervous about this game? Is is it what what would it mean for for Mike Norvell and his program and his team if they could beat, albeit a, a, a beaten up and, and broken down Clemson football team, at least for this year? Uh, what would that mean for Florida State? What kind of message would it send to fans? and boosters and everyone here if they could beat a program of clemson's caliber
2: well i want to refer to the battle of the acc atlantic over the past 10 years it was florida state and the one who took up over them was clemson yeah. this is your chance to shove it back to the person who took it over from you and for fsu this is again the best opportunity that they have and if you go four and four F- fsu and cause clemson to go four and four three and three in the acc that does a lot for this program, a lot for the confidence for us this season. I know Clemson's not doing well, but this is a team that's got, been to the National Championship at least three times the past five seasons. This is a quality program, and maybe it's just a rough season, but this is this is a huge, huge opportunity, especially with all the drama that's going on, and it's not like Clemson's doing... I, there was a comment about Clemson's elite defense. There are some leaks though. They're last and fourth downs, but I guess the only... up uh, uh, part about that is that FSU is last offensively in fourth downs, so it's gonna be an interesting matchup. I, like Brett said, I'm not. I don't think FSU's gonna pull it. And it's gonna be a night fight, but it is gonna be a. Uh, it's gonna be a in the page for one of these programs.
0: I, th- I think the the most interesting thing going into this game, a lot of people are gonna see Clemson and and their version, their bootleg version of Death Valley. On display there, and, and and say that Florida State might not be able to handle it. If that's a close game into the second quarter, third quarter, if it's a one score game, or dare I say, Florida State leads Clemson that late into the game, what kind of response are we going to get from Clemson fans that that are kind of done with this this iteration of of Clemson uh, the Clemson's football team? I'm very interested to see because Clemson fans and and students and alumni that have only known. A plus level of, of, of football play over the last couple of years, I don't know how they respond to something like this where they they look Florida State in the face and they are actually staring down a, a 500 record deep, deep into the college football season. Max, I'll go to you on this. Um, you know, is, is, is there any added pressure for for Clemson that you think Florida State can use to their advantage this this upcoming weekend?
3: I definitely do think there's added pressure. Added pressure of also you have two quarterbacks and you're gonna bench your other quarterback before so there's questions in the locker room, there's questions in different position groups, so this is gonna be a big tough loss for Clemson if they end up losing, but I mean, I don't think it's gonna to be too much too big of a gain for FSU. I mean for um for FSU if they decide to to bring it out because at the end of the day we're not gonna have like the big season we have and we're not gonna like just do what we want to do so what in my opinion the biggest thing for us is to keep it a close game to keep the next game a close game and as the fans we already know that we can win a couple games and just like I said before our biggest thing for us to do right now is keep the recruiting class we've already seen a couple decommits so keep the recruiting class and if we can compete with a team like this even though they're falling down We'll see what can happen. Yeah,
0: I, well, I I definitely think it could do wonders if if Florida State were to win this game against Clemson for the recruiting class. It certainly can't can't hinder it whatsoever. I think it would actually really really boost it up and and show recruits out there that that Florida State is actually on the on the path towards a, a productive level of, of football play. But uh, Gabe, I know you had something to say. Huh? I mean,
1: by by the same token, FSU has some sort of pressure coming into this game, and maybe we are we are even the the culprits in this because as much as Clemson has the pressure of hey you can follow a 500 record against FSU there's a lot of embarrassment coming with that and the expectations obviously coming to the season very much different for both programs but with FSU winning three straight games and going a complete different direction from what Clemson is coming into this game I, I do think there's some pressure or not maybe not pressure but expectations that FSU hasn't had throughout this three game winning streak because coming into um, UNC there was no expectation of winning and that's kind of part of the reason why I think they, they pulled it out. Uh, of course, they played an excellent game, but we haven't seen this team with the expectations. So, so here's what I would say to that, Gabe, though,
0: is that a lot of Florida State fans didn't have a whole lot of expectations about Florida State going up to North Carolina and winning, I think because of preconceived ideas of what we thought about these teams uh, heading in to the season. North Carolina was a top ten team to start the season. I, I, you know, and take what you will from the AP rankings. I think they're they're absurd at times. <laughs> but North Carolina was projected to be a top contender for the ACC. And then you kind of forget about them. They go off to the side and, and drop a couple games, an embarrassing loss to Georgia Tech, all while in the back of your mind, you still think of Florida State as one of the worst teams in in, in FBS after dropping at Jacksonville State. I think that's what sticks with Florida State fans. I don't think this game is any different. I think a lot of, of, of FSU fans will tell you that there are little to no expectations that Florida State can win this game against Clemson. Uh, you know, Vegas odds bear that out. They're a double digit underdog against Clemson, uh, and so I would hope, I would hope that Mike Norvell has his guys ready to to play that same sort of uh, of underdog role against Clemson this upcoming season. But you know, as we kind of wrap up, talk about Florida State Clemson this week, uh, Gabe, I'll start off. We always do it. I mean hear some picks.
1: Well, after putting all the expectations in FSU like that, I, I'm i going to go with it. I'm going go oh, wow. oh, no. to go with FSU winning. I'm going to go with 27-24. 27-24, Twenty-seven, twenty-four. Knolls pull it off. Okay, I like that. Jack?
2: We talked a lot about defense. However, I think one offense is going to wake up, and unfortunately that offense wears orange. However, I'm going to say it's close. I'm going to say Clemson 31, FSU 24. FSU will still uh, get the spread at least. Okay, I
0: like
3: that. Max? I'm going to say 31 again, just like him. I say they put 31 points on us, and FSU puts 27. 31, 27,
0: Clemson. Here, here's here's Brett. Yeah,
4: yeah uh, I know I talked big game. Uh, I'm going Clemson 38, Florida State. Fourteen, so a blowout on our hands.
0: So, so here's my, you know, for anyone picking Clemson to score thirty-one, well, they haven't done that a whole lot <laughs> at all this season. If if the game is to the point where Clemson is putting thirty-one on Florida State, that probably means that they've unlocked something that they didn't have before. I I think that they probably, if they're scoring thirty-one, I think they might score more than that. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go thirty. I'm, I was about to pick the same as Brett. I'm gonna go forty-one, forty-one, twenty-seven clemson i don't think that florida state down the stretch can play mistake free ball against clemson that you know that that consistently so i'm gonna i'm gonna say clemson despite the strides that made that florida state has made despite uh the 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 slide that clemson has taken i think they just the organizational and program depth that they have shines through florida state's still got a little bit of ways to go but we shall see hey that's why you play the game. I'm not That's mad. That's why you play the game, I'm Gabe. I'm
1: not mad. I am just disappointed.
0: That, well, it was the same deal for North Carolina, so we shall see. We shall Although see. I'm pretty sure I picked Florida State.
2: did not think Gabe, of all people, would pick, pick Clemson this week.
5: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I I didn't think I, w- I would pick Florida State coming into the show, but I, I there's something about this game. I think, yeah. think Mike Norville is really going to turn up the, the team. So.
0: yeah. Well, moving on from Florida State football to, to recap and the, the college football weekend yeah. last week. Not a whole lot going on in terms of the, the the national landscape and what it might mean for the college football playoff. Not that that's the end ball be all. We love college football no matter what's going on. Um... The most grueling game I think I've ever seen, just a a, a spit in the face of the college football gods, Jack, uh, was that Penn State-Illinois game. A ridiculous nine overtimes. I think there was a stretch of about seven of those where neither team converted on the two-point conversions. It was absolutely insane. I wanted to get your take on what you thought of, of uh, Penn State dropping that game to Illinois as they pull off the upset, and, and what you thought of the the overtime format completely stretched out further than we've seen before.
2: Yeah, so they did uh, I think it was last year they changed the overtime rules so you could have yeah. a situation like this and you can go into nine overtimes. But yeah, this wasn't a very interesting game other than that Illinois was close and then it went to OT. But the fact that I don't know what the odds are of get, of having both teams get a field goal in both overtimes mm-hmm. and then once you get into the third overtime you get into this uh, two-point conversion six straight uh, yeah, it was six straight misses. In third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. Yeah. Eighth, they both get it. And then finally Penn State misses and then Illinois gets a passing touchdown. Um there won't be this won't be remembered much for stats and stuff like that. This will be remembered for being the nine overtime game. Yeah. And maybe the nail in the coffin to Penn State season. Yeah. I don't know if you can recover from an Illinois loss, not in a nine overtime fashion.
0: No, no, definitely not. And it's you know, it's just a bummer. Going into next week's game against Ohio State. Not I I did not think that Penn State would probably pose much of a threat against Ohio State this upcoming weekend either. Spoil. But it certainly takes a little bit of shine off. Um, really quickly, last minute of the first half here on, on Tomahawk Talk. Uh Gabe, we got a big Michigan, Michigan State matchup this week, both undefeated, uh, both sitting at the top of the Big Ten East, uh, late late into the season. But from from I, I want your uh Kind of word on this. Whether you think either of these teams, no matter who ends up winning, is it kind of all a moot point? Do you see either of these teams eventually being able to beat Ohio State, who's pretty much surged since their loss to Oregon and kind of regrouping under the radar there?
1: You know, I'm feeling optimistic today, and I I, I want to see both teams playing to their best level on Saturday because I mean I don't want to see Ohio State just come come out of the Big Ten once again. So. Uh, I, I expect Jim Harbaugh to to once again silence some of the haters as much as True. he hasn't really, you know, brought Michigan back to to the elite. Now the
0: haters have been warranted at times. I yeah. will say that uh, I've
1: mm-hmm. been the hater too, but I, I I've respected what he's done this season. So I, I think Michigan will pull off. Okay, we shall see. Jack, did you have any any word on that, Max?
2: Other than that, Michigan State's gonna win.
3: No
0: fighting, Mel Tucker's. I I think Michigan probably wins today. That about does it for the first half of Tomahawk Talk. Again, I said it, kind of a boring week in college football. Uh, Certainly some more matchups to look forward to this next coming weekend, but that is going to do it for the first half here on Tomahawk Talk. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. All right, we are back here on Tomahawk Talk, second half live here on WVFS Tallahassee. I'm your host, Luke Hazen, joined by Gabe, Jack, Max, Brett off in the corner over there, watching whatever game he is on his phone uh, kind of just surveying the the landscape. There was a rather jarring performance. I know Jack and Gabe, you were looking at this last weekend. Kind of an, an embarrassing moment for for Man U to say at least. As they they drop a match to to Liverpool and Gabe, what what does that say about the state of of affairs over at Man United?
1: Well, coming into the season, we all knew about Liverpool, Man City, and Chelsea how they were doing abs- absurdly good. And then Manchester United bought Cristiano Ronaldo, Rafael Varane, and um, I forgot the other signing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they had an incredible transfer window, except they didn't sign a midfielder. So the team has looked as incomplete as it's ever been because after a 5-0 loss, you saw every weakness from that team. And a lot of the blame has been putting has been put on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I will never be able to say his name right. Solskjaer. 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 Uh The Manchester United coach, uh, who's, I believe, in his third season now, Yeah, somehow. Well, uh, he's had some good moments, but it's coming down to the wire for him. I think there's a lot of pressure now, a lot of short-term pressure, because he needs to deliver some silverware at some point in in his uh, time as boss over there with the Red Devils. And a 5-0 loss at home against their biggest rivals is not something you ever want to see. And just the way that it happened, it, it, it was never a match. Two goals within the first 10 minutes by halftime it was 4-0 uh, I mean Jack, as a, as a Liverpool fan how much did you enjoy this? That was
2: the best That was that was amazing That was an amazing performance and what I don't like is that it kind of shies away from Liverpool, It's the, the story is how bad man you is not so much how great Liverpool was, because one fact that was, I thought was kind of hidden was that that's the first opposing player to score a hat trick at Old Trafford in history, Wow, Mohamed Salah Egyptian legend, three goals, uh, putting a past Liverpool, along with a Naby Keita goal, and uh, Diego what was that? Diego, Diego Jota with the other goal, thank you. And they just, they, it didn't, by, by 60 minutes, uh, Man U's playing passive, you know the game's over. It was just one of the weirdest things to see from the former powerhouse that was Man United crumble in a way like this, and especially in a season where Everyone thought it was the big four. Man U was in conversation for the title this season. And with that, if you didn't rule them out already, they are now officially out of that conversation and it's down to the three that are Chelsea, City, and Liverpool.
4: Oh. Yeah, well, what I will say about United, real quick, and it's like if they pull the the plug on on Ole, they and they and, and they're able to. And there's reports that Antonio Conte's passed up on a lot of jobs, including Tottenham. If they're able to bring Antonio Conte, and I think this year, like like you said, Jack, they're they're out of that title race. It's a it's a three team race right now. A lot of a season left. Mm-hmm. Who knows what can change. But that starting eleven, when you've got Paul Pogba, who was dropped uh, inexplicably this weekend, um, that starting eleven. If they bring in a manager like Antonio Conte, a manager who likes to come in, teams that are ready to win, and he puts all the pieces together. He did it at Chelsea, won the title his first season at Chelsea. If he can come into the, to a Man United team like this, that's a team that could, I could see going on to win uh, an FA Cup or a Champions League this year. I don't know if they're going to have the firepower, or the depth to get through the league, but in terms of the Champions League, I mean, they've got probably the greatest Champions League player ever, Cristiano Ronaldo. That starting eleven, if they can stay healthy, they could easily win. Well, not easily win the Champions League, <laughs> but you get you know what I'm saying. Like that, that team... Is at, at their best 11 goes up against like the other th- teams in, in England and in, all across Europe as mm-hmm. well. So, Antonio Conte, he's my favorite manager in the world besides Thomas Tuchel. And if they bring him in, I think uh, they, they're gonna be a problem.
2: I will say though, he is a short term solution everywhere he's gone, it's either been for at max three seasons. Chelsea, while he had the title after that, was a bit of a disgrace behind the scenes. He went to Juventus, uh, was very successful there, brought into their first uh, Scudetto in uh, almost 10 years this past season. So he, he But then he had to be out due to financial reasons that Inter's having. So he is a short-term solution and maybe perfect for Man United because they just need a short, quick fix to maybe get back up on their feet. And then what they do afterward it remains to be seen. But for now, utter utter garbage.
1: L- last thing I'll say is I, I do feel a little bit bad for Ole because he's, he's coming, or he hasn't come in, but he's peaking at the wrong time. There's three other huge teams in his way of of winning the premier league or even the champions league for that matter and as much as cristiano ronaldo has been phenomenal for them uh, scoring goals and all that he is just not anywhere near competitively uh, producing anything on the defensive side of things and, and it's it's really hard for him to to be able to 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 hide him as well as the the two Pivots in in that four two three one, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you you don't start Pogba. I don't know what's going on with that. And then but, he gets
2: a red card like five minutes coming on at halftime. Yeah,
1: I, I I don't know what was going on through his mind. Just frustration, I'm sure. But but if they don't sign a midfielder, even if you bring Antonio Conte, I don't see how this team is going to be able to pass through the the other three giants because of, of how good they are, not because of how bad Manu is. Because that is a really good starting eleven. But but they're really missing the the middle piece to to be able to link the defense and the attack. So. That's all about what we got for, <laughs> for soccer talk. I think no, all,
2: really all that can be said is that at least you're not Arsenal. Mm.
1: Oh man, uh, you you hit it on the nail. Yeah,
2: we shall see moving forward. I I,
0: I feel like a lot of uh, Man United is going to have to earn back a lot of trust from a lot of their supporters going forward. You know, yeah. after after what was a promising, you know, what, what was supposed to be a promising start. To yeah, us. there
1: was a lot of hype coming into the season, and yeah.
2: and we didn't even bring up Super League. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> but we'll, we'll move on from from. Super League 2, the league. Guys, the NBA tipped off last weekend. I know not a whole lot has happened. A couple of games here and there that that stand out a little bit. But the NBA officially tipped off. It's really weird. It feels like it's been forever. But this is the NBA's third season since COVID started. Remember, just last year around this time, in 2020, LeBron was hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy. <laughs> Wrap your mind around that, Adam Silver. I been think able about that. F- Adam Silver's been able to fit in three different seasons uh, now into a, a year span. You know whether that's a positive or negative, that's for you to decide. But the NBA is officially back, and of course, it would not be the NBA if it was not headlined by more oh off the court goodness. news than than on the court news, and that's where we start kind of previewing some of these top contenders in the East. Uh, Ben Simmons is still not suiting up for for Philadelphia uh, after what was a really, really screeching halt to the season that we documented here on Tomahawk Talk as they lost to the Hawks uh, in the Eastern Conference semifinals to all this off-season trade rumors, mainly started by Philadelphia and Daryl Morey themselves, to Ben Simmons going AWOL and not talking to anyone within the organization. And now he's back, but he's really not back you know he's practicing with his phone in his pocket he he says that he will not suit up until he gets more mentally squared away for Philly so Gabe I want to say this and ask you this uh kind of projecting who you think should be the favorite coming out of the Eastern Conferences here in the NBA uh does Ben Simmons mean that much to Philly that they can't contend without him like legitimately contend
1: that's tough because I, everyone's looking at the Nets, and, and we'll talk about Kyrie in a second. But with KD and James Harden, it's going to be really hard for anybody, even the Greek Freak, to to pull it off once again. But I I, I don't see I, I can't trust the, the Sixers. <laughs> I, I just I just can't. Not not with this drama going on this early in the season, and, and I mean Joel Embiid can get hurt any second. So as much as Doc Rivers has experience, and and this team is, is talented, and they're almost due for 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 some big victory. Uh, at the end of the season, I I I don't see it happening this year. Right, right, and it seems to follow Doc Rivers wherever he goes. There's yeah. there's some
0: sort of toxicity that follows everywhere. It, whether that's Doc himself or the players that Doc gets on the roster there. I don't. He was the GM in in Los Angeles when that kind of fell apart in Lob City. But Max from one off the off the court news uh, to to Kyrie Irving, who still is is not shooting up for the Brooklyn Nets. You know, they are the the odds-on favorite to win the NBA championship this season, despite uh, the, the news that's come out that Kyrie Irving, if he continues as he is now, uh, will miss half, basically almost, actually more than half of the Nets games this season among different cities. Uh, but do you still feel like the Nets are the team to beat in the Eastern Conference, even if they can't play with uh,
3: Kyrie Irving? I do, I do. I mean, you have James Harden, you have a great supporting cast, Kevin Durant, Blake Griffin, Even adding in players like Patty Mills and Paul Millsap, just a great team. But if I were the Nets and they talked about it before, they talked about just sitting Kyrie for the rest of the season and not having him in the away games, you're going to have him there and you're going to have him as a locker room kind of cancer and locker room Mm. distraction. So if I were them, I'd just completely move on from it right now. I mean, you have the state restrictions in New York. And Adam Silver wants to put in whatever he wants to put in and whatever rules he wants to place. So if I were the Nets, I'm moving away from Kyrie. I'm not just trying to trade him right now, but focusing on other players. Yeah.
2: Jack? This is the one sort of thing that can uproot a favorite that – I've never seen a favorite more like this than the Nets. This is the one thing that can uproot it, something off the court like a COVID vaccination. And like you said, with the you can't – you can't have this type of cancer go throughout the locker room and just expect to um, ju- expect to just romp and just run the East. Yeah, I maybe they hang around and be a three-four seed throughout the season, and when the playoffs come around, that's that's a whole other year. That's a whole other time. But for now, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be all up on them right now.
0: Yeah, well, well, Gabe, here's here's the problem though, and something that I opposed to you, like this Nets team was kind of built around the fact that they were going to have all three of those guys. Certainly, it was built with the aim of, of having Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant when they signed both of them, and then they eventually traded for James Harden. But we saw last year in the playoffs what happens when one of those mm-hmm. three are missing, if two of those three are missing, and eventually it's just up to Kevin Durant to do the heavy lifting. Uh, do you still, are you still confident that minus Kyrie Irving, this Nets team can, can uh, contend with the Bucks for that
1: top spot in the East? I want to say yes. I really do because, <laughs> I mean, man. Lakers Nets in the NBA finals. Come on. Everyone wants to see that. Uh, as much as the Lakers are also struggling. But but the Nets as long as they have Katie and James, I think they're they're gonna put up a fight. And and you don't know what's gonna happen with the Bucks. They can also, you know, get an injury here and there or maybe there's running into bad form by the end of the season. So I don't I'm not gonna rule them out, but losing Kyrie is definitely gonna hurt them. As much as he's a cancer in the locker room, I do think that, that they need him on the court and unless they, they somehow get a trade and, and they, they, they find somebody who can replace some sort of what he can do, then it's going to be – the odds are not going to be for them. They're going to be against them. So I'm not going to pick the the Nets without Curry. Yeah. I'm just not.
0: Yeah, I, I, you mentioned you mentioned the Lakers and Nets who were two of the, the, the betting favorites to win the NBA championship this year. My problem with both of those teams are that they, they're, they're like massively flawed rosters <laughs> when you look at them that are dependent on just a couple of players that – all of them, KD, James Harden, LeBron, AD, all those guys, they have had a, a lengthy injury history before with some pretty severe injuries in there, some soft tissue injuries. Like, I, I I don't buy into them, even if Kyrie Irving was still there, unless I knew that for certain that I was going to get a full season to them. Right, Jack?
2: Yeah, I, I yeah. totally agree with that. But th- with the Nets, it's, they almost went to the Eastern Finals just with Kevin Durant. So if they, if they if James Harden is there and if you know the whole right. situation Kyrie is figured out, I mean this is the favorite. This is the team. This is the team that could go on to do dynasties if if it's possible. And yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah we shall see moving forward. But I wanted to get away from the NBA real quick to recap uh, the the NFL the weekend of the NFL. Um, a couple couple close games, but really it was it was it was more of a a, a blowout Sunday yesterday. Uh, in the early slate and the and the late one. But that doesn't mean we can't take anything away from these blowouts because one of the most jarring performances I think we've seen the entire year happen yesterday, Gabe, and that is a 27-3 final in Tennessee. The Titans, coming off of a huge Monday night win against the Bills, uh, play host to the Kansas City Chiefs, and they absolutely rout the now reeling Chiefs. They're 3-4 and four on the season now, Kansas City is. Patrick Mahomes gets roughed up there at the very end. He passed concussion protocol yesterday. So he should be good to go for next Monday night. But man, I feel like we, it has to be a talking point every week we come on here because they're just that polarizing in the Chiefs. But it's been crazy to see the progression of this team from us brushing off that Baltimore loss to us brushing off that Los Angeles loss uh, to now them staring down almost halfway through the season. They are below a 500 team with two better teams in the AFC West. Uh, so how much are you hovering over that panic button if you're a Kansas City fan?
1: The Chiefs are broken. They they were broken. And who the broke them, Gabe? Bowl. The Super Bowl. And who Bowl? broke them? Some some team from Tampa. Yep. But nah, I, I don't even know if that's true. I, I'm just messing around. But but it's definitely a funny propaganda that the Bucks fans are throwing out these days. Propaganda. Propaganda it's indeed. Straight facts. But yeah, I mean, wh- where there's smoke, there's fire, and now it's it's almost like the the building's burning down because, uh, I mean, everyone knows what the Chiefs are, and everyone knows how flawed that defense is, and everyone knows how they can't run the ball. So it's all up to Pat Mahomes, and, uh, I mean, there's there's not much to say about this game other than everyone's kind of shocked. But when I was looking at this game, I wasn't shocked by, by the halftime. I was like, well, they're either going to come out and they're actually going to play how we expect them to play, or they're just going to falter because it, this team's first half of the season has not been good. It's not been good, and I don't see the morale in that team picking up anytime soon so maybe they can turn it around in the second half, but this might be a case where the Chiefs just don't make the playoffs because the AFC West is so good, and, and there's a lot of – I mean, you know, there's seven teams coming out of the, into the playoffs this year, so maybe that'll be their saving grace, but it's not looking good right now for Kansas City.
0: The the, the one <laughs> – I was thinking about this this morning because one of my best friends is a Bills fan, and I was talking with him about their, their prospects, and I'm, <laughs> just real quickly I want to toss out, Jack. Imagine a nightmare scenario where the Bills – so they don't get the one seed. Let's say they're a two seed because Tennessee or Baltimore or mm-hmm. Cincinnati, Bengals. Now. Cincinnati. We'll get to that in a second. But let's say one of those guys grabs the one seed. Bills are a two seed. And then back throwing their way into a seven <laughs> seed are the Kansas City Chiefs <laughs> right on time. How frustrating would that be for a Bills fan? But uh, getting back to Kansas City and their flaws, uh, what when you look at Kansas City and, and, and how they perform so far, do you think that it's more a, a, of an offensive problem or a defensive problem?
2: It's, it's, a, it's a group failure. Yeah, I'd, I'll just throw that out there. Um, for a while, we were pointing out the defense, and for, for a while, it, it was the offense that was giving them those wins. But the past two weeks, they have come under fire. Mahomes has thrown, I think, an interception in the past. I think it was almost every game this year. Yeah. He,
0: he's now tied for the league lead in turnovers with Zach Wilson.
2: Wow. I, I,
1: I is, did not know that. That's bad company. That's brutal.
2: And this team, despite the fact that they may or may not be 500 or even under at the halfway point, they are too good to miss the playoffs on. This team will make the playoffs, and they're not going to win the division, but maybe a six or seven seed. So, it is entirely possible that the Bills, the Bills and the Chiefs will be a wild card, and <laughs> ESPN is going to love that.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, Max, let's go to you real quick. Uh, the other kind of surprising final yesterday. I I thought there was no shot that this that this would actually come to fruition, but the Cincinnati Bengals are your number one seed in the AFC. Through the first seven weeks. Who day? <laughs> the
1: Bengals <bungles laughs> haven't bungled.
0: The Bengals go into Baltimore when 41-17. <laughs> Joe Burrow throws for over 400 yards. Jamar Chase goes for over 200 yards. Uh, they beat Baltimore for the first time since Lamar Jackson took over as a starting quarterback in, in, in Baltimore. Uh, what kind of statement did the Bengals make yesterday? Uh, winning not just in Baltimore, but the fashion in which they won it, pulling away.
3: I mean they're tight end and Joe Burrow has said in practice in media they've said that they're the best team in the AFC North and they're trying to prove it what really surprised me is that the Chargers came into Baltimore and they couldn't do anything they couldn't do anything against that defense against that secondary and against that blitz and I thought some of the same things were going to happen in this game but Joe Burrow did great I think Marlon Humphrey gave up like Two hundred yards. Oh yeah. So.
0: Oh, he he owned it afterwards. He I said mean, he just got cooked. Yeah.
3: The thing is, a lot of people are looking at their offense, and a lot of people are looking at players like Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon, saying they're doing really good. But their D line is very good. Their D line, what they did in the off season, and obviously players like Jesse Bates, they're really coming in and forming a great right. group there. So they get, they get Trey Hendricks, yeah. Yeah. From, Hendricks from the Saints. Their defense Huge. is doing great.
0: Yeah, certainly a team. To, I I I think we're at that point in the season where we can. We can probably legitimately say that like going forward... And I mentioned this last week on the show. Because the Bengals played the Lions in Detroit, and they blew them out. And I, I mentioned it like just quickly. A thought in my head when I was watching that game was like, oh yeah, the Bengals should be doing that to the Lions. Like That's the kind of team that they yeah. are. That's the kind of team the Lions are. And it's been a while since I've been able to say that about the Bengals, that they should comfortably be beating these, these terrible teams. Usually they're in a dogfight with them because the Bengals are one of those terrible teams. But I think that you're finally starting to see a, a corner turned, and I think we can kind of put it to bed that, that the Bengals should have drafted uh, Penny Sewell over <laughs> Jamar Chase. I think that is that is getting colder and colder as the, as the days go by.
1: I'm sure the meme will, will keep on living in Twitter for a couple more weeks. but And
0: that's not to say Sewell's been bad in, in <laughs> Detroit, but clearly oh, linking Joe Burrow with, with Jamar Chase, just an electric play. How, how seriously, at this very time, how many wide receivers have you taken over Jamar Chase? Uh, for in the, the for in the, the, the NFL. season in or the NFL,
1: yeah for for this for the season, Devontae. Uh, maybe DeAndre, DeAndre, I, I would take
0: Jamar honestly. I, yeah, I, I I just don't think anyone's rolling as good as he is right now, uh, but we shall see. Uh, moving off of the NFL to kind of wrapping up the final ten minutes of the show, we've talked about it a little bit here and there on the show uh, a couple times, breaking down the po- the MLB postseason, but. Finally, finally, we are at the point where we have our World Series matchup, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to bring back our MLB resident analyst, uh, William Haynes. Will, how you doing, bub?
5: It's great to be here, Luke. Just call me the Wild Thing,
0: <laughs> Rick Vaughn over there. Um, well, Will, William, uh, it was certainly a, a LCS to remember in both uh, the American League and the National League. Uh, let's start. Let's start in the American League, Houston. Over the weekend, clinches their spot, their third World Series in five years. Uh, they were in their fifth ALCS in a row. Uh, they beat the Boston Red Sox uh, four games to two. They come back after being down two one. I mean, we were on air last uh, last Monday when they were getting absolutely throttled, throttled by the Boston Red Sox offense. They come back. They win the last three games of the series after getting shelled in games two and three, and uh, they are going to the World Series, Williams. So, so. Kind of just wrapping up that series. Uh, what did you make of, of Houston's uh, ability to come back in a series that looked like Boston was going to run away with it?
5: To me, really, they look like the same Houston team, more or less, that we've seen uh, on this run where they've gone on to all these ALCS series and a and, and World Series title. In that as well. We talked on the show last week that maybe they were uh, in some trouble a bit with the pitching. Their starters were thin and not going deep into games. All of a sudden, they have a couple of good starts. From Valdez goes eight innings strong. They have Luis Garcia taking a no hitter almost through six in uh, the clinching game. So now they've got their pitching back. Their lineup is the same it's always been. And uh, I think they beat a clearly better team. They were better than the Boston Red Sox.
0: Right. They just think. Uh, uh, um the Boston Red Sox clearly regressed back to form and what we had seen for, for much of the season. That's why it was so so puzzling and frustrating in that ALDS to see right. them perform the way that they performed. Uh, what can you say about Joran Alvarez? I mean, how many hitters, how many batters up there are you le- really taking over him? Uh, and it's not just one of those postseason hero moments. This guy is legitimately one of the 5 to 10 best hitters in all of baseball.
5: I think you could clearly make the argument he's one of the top 5 batters in Major League Baseball today. Such a tough out in this series, and it really has been probably for the last couple of years. He's got great play coverage. It seems like even when the Red Sox were trying to pitch around him, he was still making really solid contact for extra base hits.
0: I mean, you go back to Game 5, the pivotal game with the series tied to 2-2. A lot of people are going to remember it for Framber Valdez's eight innings, which they should. He was absolutely phenomenal considering what he did in Game 1 against the Red Sox. But I'm going to remember it for Yordan Alvarez, taking Chris Sale to left field all three times. Lefty on lefty including a home run including a go ahead double. Uh he was just simply phenomenal and he deserves uh, ALCS MVP after going he, he out hit and outscored the Boston Red Sox in games wow. 4 through 6. That is ridiculous. Um and then touching up on Boston and finishing up their season. Uh, any any last words on, on the Red Sox and, and them moving forward and kind of just looking back at their season?
5: If you want to trace this series back to maybe a point where it went wrong, I thought maybe using uh, Nathan Evaldi out of the pen in the ninth inning and in a tie game in game four proved costly. They were never able to really recover from that. Evaldi himself basically blew the game. They had all these kind of relievers. They had guys that had pitched great for them before. And uh, that move to me didn't make a lot of sense, and then they had him start later, and uh, they were never really able to recover after that point.
0: Well, here, here okay, because you and I have gone back on this with, with with pitching your starters in in late inning high leverage relief. Uh, first of all, you could make the case, and I don't want to do this to Laz Diaz because I think you know they're, they're umpires. But sure. Evaldi sh- probably should have gotten out of the inning, if considering what side you fall on that on that strike three call to to Jason Castro there. But putting that aside, then already comes back out, and he actually gave you some good innings in Game Six. I mean, he he went five strong, gave up one run, I believe. So it wasn't that 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 move taxed Evaldi later on. I do think it's unfortunate that the one time that he kind of flares up, because he's been nails for most of the postseason, uh, happens to be in that ninth inning. But uh, we'll see what Boston does next season. You know, I, I trust that they're in good hands with their front office, so we'll see how they manage to get back to the postseason next year if they can. Uh, but then, and Jack, you can comment on this too as a, as a Braves follower uh the Atlanta Braves are going to the World Series for the first time since 1999. I was not born yet. That is crazy to think about. They finish off the prohibitive favorite uh, Los Angeles Dodgers in less than seven games. They finish them off in six. Uh, kind of a, a shocking uh, final considering where these two teams were for most of the regular season. and Even the postseason heading into this series, I don't think a lot of people would have said the Braves were going to win in less than a 7th winner-take-all game. Um, but that's exactly what happened. The Braves happened. Eddie Rosario happened winning NLCS MVP. Uh, Jack, how does it feel to know that, that the Braves are going to the World Series? It
2: uh, feels so good. Uh, yeah. Especially against the Dodgers, too. That 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 was for 18 NLDS and that was for last year's NLCS. And Up until, really, the last game, that felt like it was going to be a repeat. A total Atlanta right. collapse, which I'm unfortunately very familiar to. Yeah. Where they won the first two games, They they lose the third game in the game they should have or they should have won uh win the fourth game considerably but then you know trip on themselves in the fifth game and then they just don't and then they finally put it together and maybe it's maybe it's being home maybe that home field advantage winning the division where this has been shoved down everyone's throat was not ever 500 or ever near 500 until august yeah so and then the one guy i could argue that maybe is doing better than jordan alvarez is eddie rosario who went who uh, hit a 560, uh, had more RBIs with nine, and had a higher OBS. So, first World Series since the golden years, 91, 92, 95, 96, 99. Hopefully we can do better than uh, one for five. But um, I'm seeing a correlation here. 91, 21, could this be the next golden years? As an optimistic Atlanta fan, I am saying yes. (laughs) And judging by that logic, we should lose.
0: There you go, go, Jack. Well, you mentioned this team being under five hundred until August. William, when you look at that Atlanta Braves team that went to the NLCS last year, they returned a lot of that same roster. That, I and I said it for most of the postseason. It's why I picked the Braves over the Brewers. That is not an 88 win team when you think about how they performed down the stretch. And if you and the difference between last year and this year. Last year, when the Dodgers went down 3-1, they rattle off three straight, and two of those games up until the game seven, those were very, very well in control for the Dodgers. In 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 my opinion, uh, and then they they win a winner take all game. That's just how it works. You could make the case that the Atlanta Braves should have swept the Dodgers if it hadn't been for a Cody Bellinger three run homer mm-hmm. against Luke Jackson. Uh, how impressive was it to see you take uh, see the Braves pretty much outplay the Dodgers for most of the series? This was not a fluke.
5: It was really impressive. I mean, they look like a completely different team. I think it's really interesting uh, that they were, like you said, around uh, 500 at the the August mark, and yet their front office decided to go in with all kinds of moves, getting Jock Peterson, Adam Duvall, Jorge Soler, and a guy who won the MVP of the series, Eddie Rosario, they basically got for nothing. He was a salary dump for That's Cleveland, Cleveland. In, in June, July, and he's their best hitter right now. Maybe the best hitter in all of the postseason at this moment.
0: Yeah, it, it, I, and It's kind of puzzling to to look at this Dodgers team that won 112 games, including the postseason, go fizzle out. Really, I I mean, I had it. I had it up. Dodgers one through four hitters in the the couple of the most pivotal games of the postseason, games four and six of this series. They're one through four hitters: Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Trey Turner, Will Smith. A combined one for 36. One for 36 at the plate and just completely shut down in Game 6. Uh, how are you going to remember this Dodgers team, William, that up until they were booted out, uh, seemed like they were destined to go back to the World Series?
5: Yeah, that Mookie bats at bat in Game 6 against Matzick there at the end told you pretty much everything you needed to know about how the Dodgers were doing. Was taking fastballs right down the middle of the zone. Just wasn't even going to offer. And then he swung uh, for this, for strike three later in the at-bat. You know, your best players have to be your best players in this time. I know they had some guys out, Kershaw, Muncie and then Turner at the end. But this was we, the deepest roster in Major League Baseball going into the season. They had enough depth to get through this, and like they have in many years prior, they just couldn't come up when they needed it most. Yeah, and
0: and one last thing about the Dodgers, you talk about that depth. They could be losing a little bit more of it this, this coming offseason. A lot of free agents and key free agents that they may or may not bring back. Uh, do you still view the Dodgers as – the favorite heading into next season despite potentially losing Corey Seager, potentially losing Chris Taylor.
5: They've got more resources than anyone in the National League to go out and get guys, so I think it's going to be maybe dependent on the moves that they make. They could lose a lot of guys. Their depth is really that strong, so uh, we're just going to have to wait and see.
0: Yeah, and then then finally topping it off and and kind of ending the show on this note, as we look at the Braves-Astros World Series that begins tomorrow uh, in Houston, it's Frambois Valdez versus I want to say Charlie Morton Charlie Morton's going to take game one okay so Looking at that series, we bring in Brett Rutherford here. Mm -hmm. Brett, really quickly, give us a little rundown of what what you're looking forward to in this series, and who do you think comes out on top?
4: I'm looking forward to seeing more Jordan Alvarez, who is probably a top-five hitter in all of baseball. Um, He has been absolutely incredible. I believe he won ALCS MVP. I expect him to win World Series MVP, and I expect the Houston Astros to take down the Atlanta Braves in six games. And from Valdez, if he can... Or, you know, even bring half of what he brought in his last start in the ALCS, he is going to be a really key piece, and he's starting game one, which means you're going to get him for at least you know two outings in this World Series. And that Astros team is just the best from from top to bottom. I thought they were the best in the American League, even with this, all the success that the Rays had. And uh, yeah, I think Dusty Baker brings it home for the Houston Astros.
0: There you go, finally winning one. Dusty will in his second World Series appearance. Uh, William, who who are you looking for the uh, forward to the most in this series, and who do you think ends up winning?
5: I think Houston probably takes this series. On paper, they're better in, in almost every aspect. The one thing that the Braves have going for them is so far in this postseason, they have been really clutch on both sides of the ball. Some some big hits late in games. The relief pitching has has been very good as well. But Houston has the killer instinct that the Brewers and Dodgers did not, who the Braves had been in this postseason. So I think just the experience is going to come big, but it's, it's going to be fun to see this Braves group, who has not yet been yet on this stage, to try and see if they can take home their first crown in a while. But I've got Astros in six.
2: Got gotcha. you. So going along with Brett there, Jack? Is this a homer pick? Yes. Los Bravos in six. And... Um the the ghosts are gone. The one thing as a Braves fan that always haunts me was the Dodgers. The Dodgers are gone. The Dodgers are gone, and we face a it's a very very tough Astros team, who on paper is better, but the World Series isn't want on paper, and that's why I think the Braves are going to win in Houston in six. Uh, wow. It says here in the cha- it says here I was going to start a war chant, but I will decide. No, not to. <laughs> we'll, we'll,
0: we'll skip that on that. But wrapping it up, I th- I look at this series. I think it comes down to the bullpen. On both sides, who utilizes it better? We could see a couple guys come out of the bullpen that that would be starting otherwise. Um, As great as uh, the Braves' top three have been uh, during the course of this postseason, with with Freed, Anderson, Morton, uh, I think the way that Houston's been able to utilize their bullpen, no one's going better than Graveman and Presley in the back of that bullpen. I know Houston's going to hit. I know Atlanta's going to hit. It's who gets those timely outs down the stretch I think Houston's going to pull it off. I have Houston in six as well uh, with, uh, screw it, I'm going to say Carlos Correa, World Series MVP. He All leaves right. He leaves Houston after this season with two rings, both legitimate, and that's how that's how he wraps up his Houston career there. But I think that's going to wrap it up for this edition of Tomahawk Talk. Uh, I have been your host, Luke Hazen, along with Gabe Tisnes, Max Scarpio, Jack Oliaro, William Haynes, Brett Rutherford, Scott Clemens and Sebastian Angel Riano, as always, in the prod booth there. A full house here tonight. Always love to see it. Uh, you are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.